right. All right. Man, it's good to see you guys. When Gabe asked me if I would give the message tonight, I immediately began praying. It's like, oh God, <laughs> I really need you to show up. And, uh, and these men really need you to show up. And, and I sense the Lord just saying, Chad, pray for the men. Pray for the men and the things that they're going through and the things that, the, the places where they're at. And I sensed in my heart, and I just see it as I see you guys, that the Father is like walking in between our tables. Jesus said, you know, I'm the vine, but my Father's the gardener. And he's like walking around all of these tables right now, and he knows every single solitary one of us. He knows our homes. He knows our wives. He knows our children. He knows our grandchildren. He knows our jobs. He knows our neighbors. He knows you. And he's here right this minute, right next to you as the gardener. And he has some adjusting and some things. Gardeners go through the, the vineyard and they just adjust. You know, they, they tie things up to the, to the trellis and they, they do a work. And so, can we partner with the Father tonight in his gardening of us? Father God, you're the gardener. <laughs> Jesus is the vine. We're branches. We're completely dependent on your gardening of us. And so, God, I pray, would you just be the gardener of us tonight? Father, we're going to be digging into your word, but we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, when we get into this thing called discipleship, just living as a disciple of Jesus, it's not very long when we find out that, that these words, these pages between these two chunks of leather are supposed to be some significant part of our discipleship. But I've talked with a lot of people and I've experienced it myself that there are so many times when th these words are a struggle and getting into these words are a struggle. And it's like, how do I, how do I approach these words in a way that they're actually life-giving, like, like it says they're supposed to be? Instead of just the, the, the thought of, man, I just, I'm trying to get in this word. Everyone's telling me I need to get into these words but I'm just not sure I'm getting anything. I'm not sure they're doing anything in me. Maybe there's something about our approach to these words that can change that story, that can change the story of our life in the word as a man who's wanting to be a disciple of Jesus. There were some men in Jesus' time that, Everybody thought of them as they just, they were it. They had it all together. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, 
They studied the word and knew the word more than anybody. But they completely missed the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in all of the hours and days and weeks and maybe even years that piled up that they were in the Word, they completely missed it. If we think about them in in John chapter 5, Jesus told them, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They missed Jesus in all of that study in the Scripture. It's incredible. These same leaders in John chapter 8, they brought this woman caught in adultery to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, the law tells us that this woman should be stoned to death. They said, what do you say? Trying to trick Jesus. And Jesus, in his heart, he's like, you guys... Yes, that's what the law says. You're right, but you're dead right. The way you're approaching the law is is void of the Spirit because the the Spirit of God, it says that the, the letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. And they missed the Spirit of God in the Scriptures, and they just saw this legalistic, rules based approach to the Scriptures. And it was going to lead to the death of this woman. And so Jesus, being the one who didn't come to condemn people, but to save people, he says, tell you what, whoever one of you is without sin, you can throw the first stone. And one by one they left. So somehow getting into the scriptures, they missed the spirit of God and it brought death instead of life. Matthew chapter 7 tells us about there was a kind of a specialized group of these leaders and they would go out and they would do amazing things. It said they prophesied, they cast out demons, and they performed miracles. And so Jesus said, when you come to me, when when God's kingdom is finally restored, everything has reached its culmination, You're going to say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and drive out demons and do miracles? And Jesus told them, depart from me because I never knew you. He said that those people that know my Father and do his will will enter into this kingdom. They had this wildly successful ministry, but they, in their searching the scriptures, looking for formulas to drive out demons with, they completely missed the Father and his will. (laughs) You know, I don't know if you guys wrestle with this, but sometimes I love to sit in the seat and just make fun of the Pharisees. Like, oh, can't believe those guys. Losers. But then there are times when I miss the Father's story in his word. I miss saying yes to Jesus' lordship. I miss the spirit of God and what he wants to do in me. 
I just like, oh, I got to get my Bible reading in today. Okay, let's see. Uh, oh, good. Woo! But I missed him. I was just a Pharisee doing my legalistic duty. John chapter 7, Jesus spoke into this because this leadership of the Pharisees left all of these people thirsty. It's like this can't be the way it is. There, there must be something different about who God is and about his story in the scriptures. And so Jesus, here in John 7 on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said. Would you just repeat that with me? As the scripture has said. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. See, the Father gave the scriptures. The Son came and embodied those scriptures and told everyone, come to me. And then he said, if you come to me, as the scripture has said, the Spirit of God will be in you like these rivers of living water. Now let me tell you something. I'm from Washington State, right on the Idaho border. We have rivers up there. Colorado has some serious issues with naming their bodies of water. <laughs> Do I hear an amen? Tri Lakes, that is, those are ponds. Palmer Pond, Monument Pond, Woodmore Pond. Those are, that's the Tri Ponds area. If you want a lake, go to Lake Coeur d'Alene. There's a lake for you. So I need to say that in Colorado because when it says rivers of living water, it doesn't mean the little stream that Coloradans call a river. It means a river. The Columbia River. Rivers of living water. One of the most quoted Old Testament verses on being a man of the word. Psalm chapter 1. Many of you have heard this, known it, memorized it, but we just had to go here if we're going to talk about being men of the word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You know what it didn't say? It didn't say his duty was in the law of the Lord. There was some heart shift that happened in this man who was delighting in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. <laughs> there it is again, the Spirit of God coming into this life in the Word. This man brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. There's some promises there. I think sometimes we forget the power of the scriptures. We forget what it is that 
that we're holding in our hands. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. Let's just stop right there. In the beginning was the Word. Genesis 1 opened up with this as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 starts off, in the beginning was the Word. These words already existed with God in the beginning. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and then a few verses down, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. See, the Father has a story to tell us. Just like the Father knows all of our stories, the Father, through these words, he comes to us and he says, hey, I know you're living your story, but I want to bring you into my story. I want my story to become alive in your heart so it's actually worked out and lived out in your life. See, these words here were were with me in the beginning and no other words were. I think sometimes we pull down the word of God and we just consider it another book in the library. But there wasn't a single human author. I've read a lot of books. I've been impacted by human authors. But not a single solitary dot of an I or cross of a T from a human author was with God in the beginning. Those other books are good, but they are not living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to pierce through all of our hardness and garbage and junk and judge our thoughts and attitudes and just lay us open and bare. There's no other words like that. When I recall that and, and, and I come into my words instead of like, oh, i got to get my devotions in today. And I step back. I'm like, God, these words right here that I'm about to read were with you in the beginning. They were already there. This is a miracle. It's not just another book. This is where the Holy Spirit comes into the scriptures. 2 Peter 1. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We might think, well, these are just guys <laughs> writing stuff down and they decided to kind of pull it together and say, well, here's the Bible. But actually those writers were not the author. Do you know that you can be an author, but someone else can be the writer? They were the writers, but the Spirit of God was the author. The Spirit of God was miraculously giving them words to put down on pages. And what we have today 
is a result not of some men that got together and swirled a little beer or maybe had a little wine and thought, hey, let's write some stuff about God and, and then let's send it out to people. Instead, the Spirit of God came upon these men. One of my favorite verses on Jesus in the Scriptures, Jesus as the Scripture, is Revelation 19. Remember the story of the rider on a white horse? Just think of the description of that. First of all, his eyes were like blazing fire. He had crowns, many crowns on his head. He was in authority of a lot of things. Matter of fact, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he has all these crowns on his head, eyes blazing like fire. Out of his mouth was coming this sharp sword. He wore this robe. And this robe was dipped in blood. And on this robe and on his thigh was written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then listen to verse 13. And his name is the Word of God. When I get in these words, I'm not going to some mamby-pamby little Sunday school thing. I'm meeting with the rider on the white horse. I'm finding out how he wants his authority and his rule, his blood to cover and forgive and heal. And his future, he had, he had all these armies with all of them riding on white horses. I haven't like read scholars and stuff like this, but I, as I read that, I thought, that sounds like we might be riding on a white horse at one point in heaven. Like, wouldn't that be epic? You get to heaven, here's your white horse. <laughs> mm. When we come into the scriptures, are we looking for the Father's story and how he wants us to join him? When we come into the scriptures, before we even find out what it's going to say to us, are we saying yes to Jesus' lordship? Yes, Lord. I'm going to, I don't know what I'm reading today, but I'm going to do everything I can by the power of your spirit to put it into practice in my life. And speaking of the spirit, are we coming into the word of God saying, Holy Spirit, open my eyes that I would see wonderful things in your law? Are we approaching the scriptures as, we, as approaching the triune God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because that's what the Pharisees missed. They missed the Trinity. They missed the Father in the scriptures. In all of their study and memorization and all that stuff, they missed the Son and they missed the Holy Spirit. Well, I grew up going to a Catholic church and I believed in God, but he was the old gray-haired man, like way off there. He had no real personal involvement in my life except to just make me feel really guilty about sin. 
And the things of this world were just way too attractive for me. <laughs> Parties, drinking, cars, girls. I finally got a girl named Wendy. It was like, I want to be with this girl for the rest of my life. Well, she broke up with me. So I did what any normal man would do. I drove to Seattle with my college roommate, and I bought a 72 Corvette Stingray. <laughs> Come on. Now listen, do not go home and tell your wife, I need to buy a Corvette to save our marriage. Because she is not going to let you come back next week, and next week we're having food. So don't tell her you need to buy a Corvette to save your marriage. At the same time that I bought this vet, my boss Chuck and his wife Linda were going through a discipleship class. And they needed someone to share the gospel with. They had an assignment you need to go find someone and share the gospel with them. And apparently I looked like I really needed Jesus. <laughs> so I was their guinea pig. And they invited me out to their house and my boss Chuck had a 67 Ford Fairlane, pea green. We're driving out and I'm comparing <laughs> Corvette Stingray convertible with the LT1 engine. Some of you know what that means. Four bolt main, solid lifters. 67 Ford Fairlane, like I'm comparing, I'm thinking, I'm, I think I'm doing pretty good here. And then I get into their home, and I was blown away by the love of Jesus that came through this couple. And I was wrecked from that day on. They shared the gospel with me. They shared that my father wasn't this big gray-haired guy up in the sky, you know, just ready to squish me every time I sinned but they actually was coming after me. And he sent his son who died on the cross and paid for all my sin. And I was like, oh. I just, I, I couldn't grasp it all, but I knew something was happening here. And for a year and a half, I spent time at the bars with my buddies. And then I could be the very next night at Chuck and Linda's talking about Jesus, asking them stuff from the Bible. On January 2nd, 1989, two weeks after Wendy and I got married. So by the way, I got my girl back after I bought the Corvette. <laughs> We've been married for 33 years. Corvettes aren't a bad thing sometimes. Two weeks after we got married, January 2nd, 1989, I, we had stayed up past midnight, you know, New Year's Day, and I turned off the light and I rolled over and I said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? And Wendy said, yes. And so we gave our life to Jesus that night. And we've never been the same. And I went and I told Chuck about it, and Chuck and Linda began just having us in their home, not for a few weeks, but for a few years. And one of the first things that they did was they introduced us to these pages between these two chunks of leather. They taught us how to get into these words, how to memorize these words. I remember one time Chuck took me up to the Cub. I worked for Washington State University as a computer programmer. I still do, actually. And he taught me about tithing. I was only a month and a half into my walk with Jesus. And he said, hey, here's some scriptures about giving and, and tithing. And I'm like, 10%? Does God know what kind of a car I could buy for 10% of my income? But then I was like, wait a minute. Like, I see it in the scriptures. I went home, I talked to Wendy about it, so we started tithing. The very first week that we gave our very first tithe, 
the director of our department went and got Chuck. Remember, Chuck was my boss. And they came to my office and they said, hey, the financial aid area needs a new group leader. And we think that, Chad, you need to be it. And by the way, it comes with a raise. <laughs> I was like, wow. My father is real. <laughs> he really does, like, watch over his, his sons and his daughters. Well, that raise came with extra responsibility, like most raises. And I was in way over my head. I was 22 years old. I was wet behind the ears, you know, fresh out of school. I was a newlywed. I was a newborn Christian. And, and I just didn't, I, I didn't have what it took to do this project. The financial aid system was complex. And so I would just start every day reading the Bible at home before I went in. One day I ran into something that the Lord wanted to show me in Colossians. It said, whatever you do, Colossians 3, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ that you're serving. He's like, okay, Chuck's not my boss anymore. Jesus is. And so I, I would go into the office. I'd shut the door and I'd lock it and I would, just, I would take my coffee break right away. How's that for a model employee? Take my coffee break right away and I would just hit my knees and say, God, this system is so complex. There's so many things, but you're the most amazing computer programmer out there. Please help me with this system. And we finished the project. There were many other stories like that where God showed me something in his word just from a simple act of every single morning doing this simple thing of coming before these words and saying, God, I want to enter into your story. I want to know you. I want to know what it looks like to live for you. There were some really cool things that happened But Christmas, right before Christmas of 2011, I was in the emergency room at 45 years old with heart attack symptoms. At this time, I had been the senior pastor of this little church of about 40 to 60 people in the mountains of Washington State. And uh, my heart checked out great, but I was learning what intense anxiety and pressure and stress could do to a body and do to a soul. And I'm laying on that table in that emergency room. It's like, Lord, I can't keep doing this. Like something needs to change. And he said, would you give it one more year? So that year went by. In March of 2013, I preached my last sermon, got in a moving van. We find ourselves in Colorado Springs and I, it was like grieving a death. Have you ever had what you thought was your calling and dream? Just absolutely pulverized right in front of your eyes. And then if that wasn't bad enough, we had just some terrible things that came against our family. And I felt like a boxer who had been knocked to the floor 
And it was a knockout. I mean, the referee had already counted to 10, and I was just trying to get back up. And then this news came, and it was just like a kick in the guts. And I was on that mat for three years. Very early on during that three-year journey, I could only describe it as the Holy Spirit doing something in me to make me pick up these pages and just simply be in them every day. Even though I was the most broken, hurting man that I knew. <laughs> and my family was hurting. And I had, I had no idea how to get out of it. And my father met me one day in those words. And he took me to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, it says that all of these people were leaving Jesus because he taught something really, really hard. And it picks up in, in verse 66. And it says this, after this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the 12 their chance. Do you also want to leave? And I, I could not see him. It was not a visitation like that. But I felt God sitting right on that bed next to me. And he wasn't pulling any punches. He just asked me, Plain and clear as I read these scriptures, he said, Chad, do you want to leave me too? See, there's lots of people that have been leaving me when hard things come about in their life. And I just want to know, do you want to leave me too? I didn't know how to answer. Because no, I didn't want to leave him. I mean, I really like the idea of heaven. <laughs> and I was convinced Jesus was the only way to get there. But I felt like I was on that mat, on my face, just bleeding. My family was on that mat with me, and they were bleeding. And I felt like it was all because I had tried to give Jesus my everything, follow him in everything. How do I say, how do I keep signing up for that? And I felt and heard the words of my father. And he just said this. My son, come up here. I've got something I want to show you. Come to me because I want you to enter into my words. And over the course of 30, or, or over the course of three years, the Lord met me on about 20 different occasions. And he spoke to me from these words. And I can't share all of them with you because we don't have time, but I want to share one with you. Where the Lord came and he just met me in my daily, I, I just am reading the Bible. As you do, right? And I hit Psalm 71. And in Psalm 71, it said this, also, your righteousness, O God, 
is very high. You who have done great things. Oh God, who is like you? You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. I wrote those words out on a three-by-five card, and I just went on a run with them. And I was running down the street, and I came around the corner. And I was wrestling with this idea of I just couldn't reconcile how these things could happen to me and my family if God was completely righteous. And I come around the corner, and I saw Pike's Peak, and, it, and the Spirit of God just overwhelmed me with the words written on this three-by-five card, oh God, your righteousness is very high. And I can't explain it except that the Lord spoke to my heart. That in the day when I finally can see the whole picture, he will have never been found to be asleep or unrighteous toward us or uncaring toward us. And those thoughts literally brought me to my knees right on the asphalt. And I just lifted my hands in worship. And I felt like I can trust the goodness of God. Because never has he not been good to me. (laughs) The worship team is going to come up. And we're going to spend some time in worship at a song with a song that just uh, was really one of the songs that the Lord used to to lift me up and buoy me up, and it's about His Word. But I want to close with just some practicals as the worship team gets ready, with five things of how do we come to him and enter his story? How do we find ourselves in a place where we're actually hearing the whisper of our father saying, my son, come up here. I want to show you something. I know you're just trying to crank the blank and get your quiet time done this morning, but, but, but son, I want to show you something. I want to bring you into my story. Well, there's just some practical things. Number one, we got to say no to some people, some sleep, and some things if we're going to say yes to Jesus. We need to set a time and a place to meet with Jesus. I mean, actually make a decision about it. Not sort of a, I think in the morning I'll just kind of go spend some time with Jesus. No, I'm going to be I'm going to be getting with Jesus in the morning at this place, at this time. Bring a Bible and a notebook, a pen and a plan. And you know what? Take this thing and just do that. Get rid of your phone. Like leave it somewhere else. I've never been reading a paper Bible and all of a sudden a post-it note just pops up. Hey, could you get some milk today when you come home from work? (laughs) Sure, I, I love the fact that I can tap on any word in the Bible and get the Greek or Hebrew. That's awesome. But there's something about two chunks of leather 
in these papers. I, I don't know. Call me old-fashioned. Number three, focus. Silence, back off. I heard a friend who was an emergency room doctor and he told me one time that when, we were, when, when a patient would come in and there's just blood everywhere and all this stuff, the head doctor would say, okay, everybody, back up and take a breath. See, we back off and we take a breath. We say, okay, God, got a lot of stuff going on today, but I want to meet with you. I want to be in your story. I want to hear from you today. Number four, we just get in these words and we read with this, this Holy Spirit of God, please, would you show me who you are and would you show me what you're doing? And then we pray over the scriptures, pray over our day, pray over our people. <laughs> and however God leads us. And then we don't leave our quiet time behind, but we enter into our day with him. Would you stand as we get ready to worship? I believe the Father would encourage us as we enter into this time of worship to think about What does he need to do in us? What does he want to do in us in regards to our life in the word? So as we worship, let's bring him all that we are.
change when you say it can't change when you say my heart is convinced I'll praise you instead declare what you say Your promises are yes in 